You're listening to the Fooled by the Root podcast. Hello, precious people. This interview with author, writing coach, screenwriter, Anne Heffron was simply a gift. Her raw honesty and fearlessness to face pain made this conversation vibrant. She currently lives on a beautiful farm in California, and she had just recovered from some serious chicken drama right before our interview. Apparently, when chickens get old, their legs and feet get crusty and bleed. Ew. (laughs) Anyway, concerned Anne made a vet appointment. Her compassion for easing pain extends to all. Anne's hearty laugh, generosity of heart shine through. I'm forever grateful for our messages, conversations, and her support. Let's take a listen. So, precious people, I am so excited to introduce you to Anne Heffron, if you don't already know her. Anne is the author of You Do Not Look Adopted or You Don't Look Adopted and Making a Mess, Writing and Pooping, and co-writer with Antonia Bogdanovich of Movie Phantom Halo. She taught writing at the college level for over 15 years, as well as serving as a visiting writer in Houston's elementary schools and the Girls Juvenile Hall in San Jose. Currently, Anne is a writing coach and co-hosts weekly adoptee groups with Pam Cordano. She is also a farmer in training, writer in residence at Spirit Hill Farm in Sebastopol, California. I don't know if I said that right or not, Anne. So thank you so much for being here. We also have two members of our Pulled by the Root team, Stephanie Joy Pipes, our creative director, photographer, and Sean Farley, my co-host, musician, sanity keeper. And they are here to learn and to listen and to help us develop this project so we can amplify adoptee voices. They might jump in with questions. And if not, you'll hear a little bit from them at the end. So, and uh, I have notes everywhere. Like, I'm going to get emotional because I've read your book twice now. And I think where I'd like to start, if it's okay with you, is just at the very beginning. This is what you say. Once upon a time, most of my life, I have felt both real and not real. I have felt real in the sense that I have a social security number, an online presence, and a pulse. And I have felt not real in the sense that my birth mother wanted nothing to do with me once I arrived. Since an infant is born with a sense of self not separate from the mother, I believe part of my brain took a nosedive in the gap between mothers and part of my brain decided I must not exist. And in some crazy, unexplainable way, nothing changed in that part of my brain, even as an adult. When you are in conflict with yourself, it's like you're a car whose gas pedal is also the brake. It is hard to get anywhere. And that so resonated with me. (laughs) Uh, As I told you in our phone call, I came out of the fog six six, uh, months ago. And what got me through that time period was actually Haley Radke's Adoptees On, and that's where I was introduced to your voice for the first time. And I have to say that I clung to your voice. And I just want to say thank you for speaking so truthfully and so honestly. And I would love for you just to tell me a little bit about what writing this book meant to you and maybe inform us a little bit more, those that don't know you about your, your story, whatever you feel like you'd like to share. Well, I feel like the, I didn't know at the time I thought I was writing that 
I felt like I was writing that book just to stay alive because um, uh, something in me needed to be heard. And um, the irony is that when I finished the book, um, it wasn't enough. And um, I felt pretty lonely maybe until yesterday. <laughs> Ooh, we need to know more about that. <laughs> well, well, yesterday I decided to live my life like it's a vacation. But but I, I feel like um, I've been trying to, I've been working really hard my whole life to prove myself, even when I was doing things that didn't look that great. And the fact that you're here and you have a team and that you have, like, you reached out to connect to me and to talk about, like, what's truest in my heart. And I think about when so many adoptees, when we're little and we're faced with these parents who love us but who don't get it or who don't get us, and there's this, like, there's this vital disconnect that happens where part of us dies inside or goes to sleep or just feels horror at, Oh my God, how am I going to do this? Right? Like I'm from Mars. They're from earth. They think I'm from earth and, and we learn to cope. And then I think I, I have lived my life to get to this moment where like I'm going, I'm going back to when I was a little kid, only it's you guys. And only you're mirroring me, right? So my my nervous system gets to relax. I get to feel like I'm home. I don't have to explain myself. Um, so I I feel like for adoptees or adopted people, we just want to feel seen and safe and valuable. And but it can't just be one. Can't just be one. You know, a parent could say, you know, I spent. 10 grand on you like look how valuable you are <laughs> but but without being seen that just means I'm a nice like sofa <laughs> right exactly <laughs> oh and that that just thank you for sharing that there, there's just a million things I want to ask you and you talked about the nervous system so maybe we can launch into that for a moment because I think a lot of people that are learning about adoptees and adoption and the trauma may not know about the vagus nerve. And we're not talking Las Vegas, <laughs> right? <laughs> you speak about this. And I think that would be a really good foundation for our interview to talk about kind of that trauma that happens right when you're born and how that kind of informs the rest. So if, if you don't mind speaking a little bit about not the Las Vegas nerve, but <laughs> the vagus nerve. Yeah, you know, I, um, you know, it sounds like you're on the edge of tears a lot. And I think that's so, um, like, for, for me, when I came out of the fog, that just meant I cried all the time. Not just, that meant I cried all the time. And so it's sort of, I went from a lifetime of being moody and not understanding the moodiness to just being, like, sad and to being afraid of, like, how much can one body cry? And I think, And I think part of the... The, our nervous system, I think it's overwhelmed. 
when we when we're trying to cope but not feeling properly mirrored or understood or not even knowing that there's a problem but just feeling anxious you know like oh if I do something wrong am I in trouble like there's um so I think that when I was born my um my abdomen got tight my jaw got tight because like I wasn't breastfeeding I I wasn't held in the way I needed to be held and I think my system just got locked into so there's um fight or flight rest or digest and then there's also this third aspect of the vagus nerve where you basically just pass out and um and so you know if you see an animal that's getting attacked some animals will play dead so that they won't but we can also do that and that's really dangerous because we can actually die um but i think for adoptees um so there's the sympathetic part of our nervous system so the vagus nerve is the wandering nerve and it starts here behind your head and it goes all through your body around your organs and in your guts and your guts tell your brain if you're okay or not more than your brain telling your guts it's your guts telling your brain and um i think that um i mean it occurred to me the other day that when you're born to a mother that holds you generally the first thing she does is count your fingers and toes and make sure they're all there. And I think that, I mean, maybe I had that, but I'm, I'm, I think there's something wrong with my skin. My skin doesn't feel finished. And I feel like I realized, like, I think I just needed a mom to like touch my whole body so that my body could have this sense of, okay, so I was in the mother and my skin touched my mother that way. And now I'm out of the mother. And so I'm kind of leaving, but she's still touching me. So my skin can still be part of her. And without that, my skin has this ache and it's really uncomfortable. And I think that puts the, the vagus nerve, the, the nervous system into sympathetic, um, which means... Um, I'm or fight or flight. Like I'm ready to flee. I, I am most comfortable when I am anxious. And I think this is why a lot of adoptees um, mess up their lives a lot because they need that stimulus. They need to feel in trouble because that's the safe place for them. Like if they start to relax, they don't know that feeling. I mean, one time I got a massage and and I was driving and I felt like my arms were falling off my body and I got really anxious and I realized like, oh my God, I don't have to hold my arms onto my body. <laughs> like they'll just hold themselves. And I didn't like that felt so weird. So I had to get tight, you know, all over again. And I, I think that um, my hope is that there will be more research done. Um, Gabor Mate wrote this book, Scattered Minds, about mm -hmm. um, the brain um, and the nervous system. And he 
talks about adoptees. He didn't in The Body Keeps the Score, but he does in this book. And my hope is that like, when kids are born and they're going to have to be relinquished, that they plug, they plug their brains into electrodes or something. Like, That'd be help, so cool. <laughs> right? Like, I feel like what's not understood is that, is that how our brain is affected. And our brain is plastic. So like, um, how do we give the baby a, a sense of felt safety? How do we get the vagus nerve to go into the parasympathetic, into rest and digest? I mean, how many adoptees have gut issues, right? It's like, yeah, I mean, it, it's because if our, if our body doesn't feel safe, how can we digest our food? And, um, you know, wouldn't it be great if there were clinics where we could go to and they yeah. would have a checklist of, oh, you're adopted. Okay, here's the 10 things. <laughs> like, we're going to see, like, I hope you're not eating sugar. You better not be drinking alcohol, right? Because all these things are really going to hurt your guts. And But instead, we go to the doctors and the doctor's like, hmm, not talking about adoption, not talking about the brain. And so we have so many people just chasing symptoms when I think it's it's the the vagus nerve is stuck in um, fight or flight. Yeah, thank you for that, Anne. That ma- that makes so much sense to me too. Because I think when I came out of the fog, what happened for me, the experience I had, it was almost like I was watching a movie of my life, and it went back to the beginning, and I I went fast forward through my life again through a totally different set of eyes. And it was so shocking to my system to have this subconscious memory, like wall of years come up and replace what I had tricked my mind for survival. I don't know if that makes sense, but there were like two different versions, one that was hidden. And I think, I, I think too, what I'm so interested in and what really draws me to you, Anne, is your ability to write and to communicate. And I think for me, writing has saved my life. And, and I don't want to speak for you, but I think the same. And and I would just love to know, you know, you were talking about the need to be alone and not alone. And I feel that so much in my life. Like I want connection. I want other people. But then I push them away and, and I need to be alone, but I don't want to be alone. And I think the way that you articulated that in your book, if you can speak to that, because I think that that sensation not only lives in adoptees, but a lot of people with trauma. But I think for us, there's a little extra sauce. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's such a good question. I I, I feel like um, I it's getting worse as I get older, my ability to tolerate being with people. And um, I feel like um, I need to live in my head and not be seen because I'm, I still have this performance aspect of myself. When someone walks into my space, I'm so aware of them. So I'm thinking of them almost always more than I'm thinking of myself. And my daughter has a really hard time visiting me now even because she's, she's trying to get me to have needs of my own. because I end up blowing up at her because I get so irritated, right? It's like, why aren't you thinking about me? Like, why are you always on the couch? Why don't I get the couch? But the whole time I'm saying, I don't, I'm good. I'm good. You take the couch. And 
I can't imagine what it would be like to be in a space with other people and to be in my head without a big sucker going into their head and trying to figure out if, if I'm okay with them. And so I feel like a real marker of success would be that I could be in my space with someone and um, be myself and not doing that sort of turning transparent thing. Like I can disappear for your comfort. I can do anything for your comfort until I can't anymore. And then I, then I'm going to blow up and you're going to be like, what happened to that super <laughs> nice person? <laughs> oh my goodness. I, yeah. I think we, I think we might be related. <laughs> yeah. And I get it. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, it makes sense, well, right? I mean, it does. It makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that leads me to, there's a story in your book and I'm calling it the Oreo room. That's probably not, but first of all, I need to interject this to your generosity. When I came into adoptee land just a few weeks ago, you threw out the welcome mat. You said, let me introduce you to all these amazing people. One of which was Antonia, the, mm -hmm. the beautiful director that you wrote the film Phantom Halo with. And she's been talking to us about our documentary. So thank you for that gift. Okay. But what I love, what I love in your book is your honesty about that relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think what was so touching to me in the Oreo scene, mm -hmm. if you don't mind repeating it, was that maybe, Anne, in that moment you were seen, mm -hmm. like that you took the risk to reach out to her. And I'll let you tell people if I don't you don't mind what I don't, happened. I don't remember. Oh, no. remember. Okay, okay. Okay, so you had you had a fight with Antonia and you guys were oh, yeah. talking. Yeah. And then you send her a text message. Oh and you and you and you said the floor felt like it was holding you, but the front oh, of you right. was completely exposed and you were in yeah. this like you wanted the ceiling to drop down to protect yeah. you like an Oreo. <laughs> yeah, it's that feeling of like to actually admit that I, I need Antonia or to be vulnerable to her. It, and that goes back to the skin, right? It's like, I don't have good boundaries of my body. And so, um, you know, when I was with Antonia, it would be in my head, it would be like, how do I make everything okay for her? And I'm still working on it. I still just don't know how to be as um, Amy Geller, who um, I think she'd be a wonderful interview she I was helping her she's a therapist and she's an adoptee and I was her writing coach um and she's a wonderful writer and um she volunteered to be my love coach and so we talk every week and um we had a huge fight our second session I told her she was a narcissist and that she talked too much about herself <laughs> yeah and it was intense because she's doing this for free she's my friend and she's acting as a therapist I mean we're we were we were um oh sorry I don't know why this won't stop ringing it's my daughter which is such a happy thing um and we 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 worked through it and it was the the wonderful thing was is that I let myself jump off the cliff by saying those things to her because normally it would have gone a little while longer, right? Like 
these are the things that make me a really hard person to date because I'll I'll be really accommodating and let the person talk and talk and talk and talk and then all of a sudden I'll explode right with no with no warning and so with Amy what I got to see after that happened and we both looked at each other and we're both thinking is this over like is our friendship over is our ability to work together over um and instead like she is so brave she just held on and we talked through it and I got to see that what I do is I trick people that I let them do all the talking so I don't have to expose myself so it's a way of me not having to be a real person and then I can't tolerate it anymore and then the whole thing falls down but what I'm trying to learn to do with and and I've been working on it is like when I'm with people, I try to assert myself and it sounds really easy, but I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's especially hard because a lot of times I don't have anything to say. Wow. And so like my brain is so wrapped up in trauma and adoption. And then when people are talking about shit, like, I don't know, like stuff that I'm not interested in. I, I feel like, <laughs> like, this is where I start thinking I'm a narcissist, right? Because it's like, uh, if we're not talking about me, I'm not interested. <laughs> but I don't, I don't think that's it. I think that partly I'm so afraid to have opinions. And it doesn't seem like it. Like most people would say that the opposite of me, but it's like adoptee coping mechanisms are very well crafted. We're tricky. But if you ask me, you know, what paint color I like, part of me is panicking, like a deep part, because what if I say the wrong thing? You know, and also part of me is like, I don't even care because none of this is real anyway. Right. It's like once you have that realization that like, the way you saw your life is completely different, like, how do you know that's not true about your current life? Right. And so part of me isn't fully attached or connected to this world like I'm not fully committed to being here and that shows up in funny ways like um, my refusal to have a place of my own to live you know like I go from person's house to person's house because I don't want to commit to one place I don't want to live in one place I don't want to have I don't want to exist in some ways and yeah, and that's hard because that's not my that's the that's the hurt part of me. That's not me, right? And the me part is like, oh, come on, you can do it. Like just stay, like just be nice and don't be so scared. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what makes you cry? Yeah, what makes me cry is well, first of all, just your honesty and that I understand. I understand that sensation of being untethered and not knowing where you exist or, and it's hard to stay. I feel like we have to work so hard at it. And I think um, there's a profound loneliness. I think that adoptees feel because where do we fit? Like we don't fit entirely with our biological family. We don't fit with our adopted family. 
And, and I think for me, I've had a lot of jealousy of other people, you know, just they take for granted that they look like their family or that they're included just by the fact that they were born into that family. And so I would say my view is somewhat immature, maybe, but understandable. And I think I was just moved by your honesty, because I think, and if we're going to start to figure out how to heal and how to be here, we have to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. And maybe that's simplifying it too much, but I think um, that that is powerful. And and one thing that I was thinking about too is when I read about your love tattoo. Mm-hmm. There was something about that that it was so significant because it was almost like a declaration that I deserve love. And and I don't know if you could talk a little bit of, about that too, because I think after all, we just want to feel loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we want to f- feel loved and also we want to love. And I think that there's, um, like it's, it's hard. When people, often when people have reunion, not often, every single time, I've heard someone talk about having reunion, you know, which is a funny word because usually it means you're meeting people you've never really met before, except when you came out of that one body. But the word surreal comes up, right? It was surreal. And I think when you said that you looked back on your life and it felt like a movie, you know, I think that like, that's really, really common. And also, I just want to say what you just said about that maybe your feelings are juvenile, you know, when you were just saying that. And I think part of this is like, we have to let ourselves go very all the way back to when we were little and then express those feelings that we couldn't express when we were small. And so it's embarrassing because it's like you're, I'm 56 and I'm showing up like a four-year-old again. Right. But I didn't get to do it the first time. And love for me is, um, you know, I'm going to um, um, Berkeley on Thursday and I'm staying there overnight. My daughter lives in Berkeley and I told her, she, she said something and I said, I'm going to Berkeley on Thursday night. And she said, what? And, and I, she was just with some people and I know she's really careful about COVID. And so I wasn't trying to impose on her. I wasn't trying to say, okay, mom's in Berkeley. So now you have to see me. So I was, you know, trying to give her distance, but I think it hurts her. You know, it's like, you're my mom and you're coming to my town. And how come you don't ask if we could hang out? And I'm thinking I'm doing you a favor by, by not imposing myself on you. And that to me that's where love comes in because my heart is so terrified my heart is like trying to exist and not exist at the same time so I'm like her mom and not her mom at the same time and I love her and I'm also terrified of losing her so I I keep some ice on my feelings maybe because I don't know how to I don't know how to be with a person and love them but I was I listened to these um, meditations in the morning by Panash Desai and, um, and I get confused about what he's saying because I fall asleep. But yesterday morning, he was talking about the heart in love. And I had this vision of that. I had this little um, 
little, what do you call it? Like a dropper full of pure love. And that my heart, it needs just a little bit at a time. And so like one drop of pure love went into my heart and I felt it. So then I did another drop of pure love. And that's when I understood like, okay, you have permission. Like this is, this feels good. And that's when I decided to pretend my life is a vacation and that I'm not proving anything to anyone. And that I'm just going to, like, if I feel like, so then I went outside and I slept outside for four hours because I was going to take a nap. And so I just lay there. And I think in order to really live in love, I need to get my foot off the gas pedal and stop trying to earn my right to be on the planet and to um, let myself be a little kid and just listen to the water move or watch the clouds. Because when I was little and doing that, there was something wrong. I just didn't know what it was. So I haven't gotten to experience pure rest, which I think is where love comes from. Um, so I am um, on my, the one on my wrist, you know, that was, I, 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 I got it because it, I was trying to cope with my mom, my mom's dying. And, um, when she would write letters to me, she would sign it love. And I thought, I was married at the time and it wasn't going that great. And I just thought, I got to change my life. And I thought, how do I, what do I do? And I said, okay, just claim the one thing that you want the most and put it somewhere where you can't hide it. And it felt really embarrassing to have it on my wrist, you know, because it was like, uh, hello, love. <laughs> <laughs> but it also felt... Um, like I was claiming with language what I wanted. Wow, and so powerful. And I'm so grateful to you for sharing because I think the parenting element of this that you touched on is something I wanted to talk to you about too because <clears throat> as I'm coming out of the fog and I'm realizing the way that I parented my son had a lot to do with fear mm-hmm. and adoption. And I'm doing the same thing. It's like I just I just disappear. I become wallpaper because I don't want to bother him or reach out to him. It's hard. Yeah, it's heartbreaking, hard. It's right? Hard. Yeah. It is. And <clears throat> you know, I remember on his wedding night, I I was so excited because he married this this beautiful girl. But I wrote about this in my book where I laid there and I held my stomach where he used to be and I felt my stretch marks where he used to be mm-hmm. and I can say that I haven't felt that empty in a long time mm-hmm. like for a long time he was my reason to be here mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so I think you know I'd like to as we go through this project really get into what it's like for kids to be <laughs> you know parented by adoptees you know mm-hmm. they deserve to have a, a chance to process what that's like for them as well so I appreciate your honesty with that. Like it just it matters. <clears throat> Sorry, Anna, I'm all choked up. You've got me all choked no. up. You know, I think it would be really I think it'd be so hard to be the child of an adoptee. But I, I think that if we can learn to show up 
you know, then we teach our child, like I see my daughter, like I'm working at it because if I don't, if I don't, when she left for college, I don't, my brain doesn't know how to deal with disappearance. So she left, she's gone, right? I don't know how to have someone away from me and still be connected to me. So it was just like, an, a, you know, when you're a baby, your mom plays peekaboo with you to teach you that she can go away. But, but she, our moms just disappeared. <laughs> so it's like right. the worst peekaboo That's a ever. horrible, that's the worst right. effing peekaboo game. <laughs> right. And so yeah, no. we have the chance to learn, like we can, um, there's so many opportunities here um, for our healing. Yeah, and I think that's what I'd like to lean into next, Anne, is what what have you done to cope? What hope do you have? <clears throat> what what do you think we can do as adoptees to to be able to master this dilemma we find ourselves in? Because I know for me, I as many times as I've wanted out of this life, I'm kind of back in that space. I'm not on vacation yet, but I want to mm-hmm. be where I just want to know what it's like to feel peace some sort of peace with myself. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's too much to, <laughs> to try to do. But I think I'm really interested in knowing what has kept you going. Is it the writing? Um, you know, I'm just curious, like, what can we offer other adoptees? Or maybe just tell people that are interested in this subject what, what we need, what, what can help us heal? Maybe that's just a huge question. I'll just let you respond. No, I think you're brilliant. And I think what you're doing is the answer. I mean, you interviewed um, my friend Billy yesterday, and then Billy calls me euphoric, right? And and because she felt value, valued and seen and heard, and so I and when I do flourish with Pam, that I think to have, you know, I I say my friendship with Pam is like I finally found someone that can play tennis the way I can. I mean, I don't play tennis, but it's. And what that means is we hit the ball really hard back and forth. And then one of us has a breakdown and starts crying and the other one just waits, right. Or doesn't walk off. And then the the one stands up and then we start playing again. And normally like either I hit the ball too hard for people, or if I'm with people that can play that hard, they can't tolerate the collapse part. And so I think that adoptees finding community and then having some kind of purpose like some kind of creative outlet so that because focusing on trauma is a rabbit hole and it just gets sadder and sadder the the more you look at it so I feel like part of it is okay come out of the fog like feel the feelings that you didn't have when you were a kid like so cry for four years right and then get up and start doing something and have a have a like try to Find something to do where you, it may not be what your parents wanted you to do. It may not be, but it's something that when you wake up every morning, that seems like something that you would like to do. And to like, after a while, you got to pull your head out of your butt. (laughs) It's good to put it (laughs) up there for a while. (laughs) Well, because I think can look really um you can look really self-absorbed as an adoptee who's coming out of the fog because you sound like a broken record right you can't stop crying um 
you're not that fun to be with, but that's like, that's like a colicky baby, right? That's not your, like, this is just part of the process, but that can become its own addiction. And then you can get so used to feeling that way. And then you've, I, you haven't made new friends, right? Cause you're not that fun to be with and you've lost all your old friends. So what you're doing, I feel like, like, you stay in the trenches and you feel it, but you also reach a hand out. Right. And it's like, what can I do? What can I do? Right. Because we're human and like we can reach out, even if it's back to our younger selves to say, how can I help change this? And, and be more concerned with helping others than what people are going to say about you. Because if anyone's going to, you know, so many adoptees are afraid of speaking out because they're afraid of being criticized or losing their family. But those people are toxic if that's what's going to happen. If, if that you do lose them, they're poisonous. And it's painful to lose people, but you just lost, a, you, just lost you know, like a leech. <laughs> yeah just take it off just yeah you take it off and there's so many other people in the world that are great <laughs> absolutely and and I think that's the magic is trying to I think I did this when I was diagnosed with breast cancer is I survived this thing I wasn't supposed to survive I was left with a, this broken mess and it was like I, I have to create some sort of meaning out of it and I think that's really I think that's really the call to action is how can we take whatever gifts and talents we have and create meaning. And I know for me, just being able to have, sorry, I see my beautiful team members here. They're not adopted, mm -hmm. but they, they love the idea of making a difference in the world for an issue that is underserved. And just that validation, just being able to know that they, they have stayed they're not getting paid. They are doing this because they really deeply care. And mm -hmm. I'm not used to that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like my life has always been a transaction. Yeah. Yeah. And adoption so, is transactional. It teaches yeah, to, us to, to have to transactional relationships. To feel those drops of pure love mm -hmm. that you talk about. And I, I'm mm -hmm. feeling that in, um, yeah. It, it's just been it's just been amazing like the magic around this and the healing that's happening and, and you're right you just said, and, and what you just said about stephanie and sean i mean that's the part that's where the magic is and and i think that for adoptees if they're if they're if they can tolerate that kind of love and that shift in their awareness of okay this isn't even transactional because a lot of people would push them away but that's where, like, that's where the magic happens, right? Because if you said yes to them, like that, that starts the yet the trend of yes instead of the trend of no. And um, I don't think that adoptees are. I just think, like, really, adoption is just a mirror of the human experience because we're all separated from our mother. And like that, they, I, I believe they will. It's this is about being human really wow it, it is so much Anne. and oh gosh this time with you has been extraordinary and I have I have to tell you about a little ritual that I do <laughs> I'm not particularly religious I don't know what I believe half the time I'm usually yelling at this guy whatever the hell's out there help 
<laughs> but I have a quote box. I'm obsessed with quotes. Mm-hmm. And before I talked to you, I just kind of got into my zone, whatever the hell that is. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to pick a quote that I'm supposed to read to Anne. Mm-hmm. And so if it's okay, Anne, I would like to, oh, to read this. That. But before we, we do that, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you'd like to say anything, you know, and, and would you come back? Because I would love to talk to you again. <laughs> of course. I just, I oh, think yay. that what, what Stephanie and Sean are doing is um, like, to me, you know, I mean, what you said about breast cancer, like that's Victor Frankl and man's search for meaning, right? And you guys are here and you're gathered for, for meaning. And I don't think it gets much better than this. It doesn't, Ian. No. It doesn't. Thank you for that. And thank you for acknowledging them because they are a gift. So this is, I I have to get this close because my COVID (laughs) glasses, I need new glasses. I'm like, all right. This is what the quote says, Ian. For what it's worth, it's never too late or in my case too early to be whoever you want to be. There's no time limit. Stop whenever you want. You can change or stay the same. There are no rules to this thing. We can make the best or the worst of it. And I hope that you make the best of it. And I hope, and I hope when you see things that startle you, I hope you feel things you never felt before. I hope you meet people with a different point of view. I hope you live a life that you are proud of. And if you find that you're not, I hope you have the courage to start again. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> I love you, Anne. Have You're like this magical fairy that just like <laughs> comes in, throws glitter, goes out. I do like glitter. It's I not surprise me. But you know what? The, the fairy has a side. Like the fairy likes to throw like shit too and break it. <laughs> you know, so that's not always nice. That's right. That's right, Anne. Well, as as we're ending here, I know Sean and Steph are still here. If, if you guys just wanted to say, you know, goodbye or hello or comment on what Anne said before we take off, that'd be awesome. I, I actually had a question. Um, I guess it'll be for both of you. Um, and as you were talking about, like, contact with, with the skin and this sort of, um, I guess these... Maybe we'll we'll simplify it to like just early developmental stages. Um, I, I'm sure it's different every household, but part of me was thinking while you were talking about that, like, well, I just wouldn't have told you you were adopted until later and the right time, and I would have had to deal with that. But I would have wanted maybe your most formative developmental years to be unaware of that difference, so that maybe the nervous system wouldn't have wouldn't have had those kind of issues and that fear. And I, I, I guess, you know, I, I, I'm sure it's so situational, but maybe if, if, if both of you could speak on that, like, I mean, are there studies about, uh, I know there's, you know, the adult de- brain is developed around like 25. Um, you probably can't make it that long. And sometimes, you know, we've interviewed people who look very different from their biological family or from their adopted family. And so maybe not every case, uh, this would apply, but I just wonder if, you know, if, if someone would have lied really well and lovingly to you for um, a, a couple years or a certain amount of time, if, if maybe that would have curbed some of that feeling. That would have been the worst thing possible. Okay. It, it would be like, if, if you told me, like, if, if, if 
if you had been feeding me Mexican food for three years and then you took me to a sushi restaurant and you said, I swear to God, this is Mexican. And I'm looking around and I'm like, mm, doesn't smell right. Doesn't taste right. But he says it's Mexican. So I must be crazy. So you have a baby that's attached to a mom who doesn't smell right, who doesn't taste right, who doesn't sound right. And, and the baby tells mm. you that it's your mom, your brain would have like those kids that go to malls and shoot people. So is there, yeah. is there, is there advice to um, parents adopting then? I mean, what, what's the most that they can do? Smell good. Like take a shower <laughs> and don't wear perfume. <laughs> yeah. And I love that you asked that question because so many parents, I mean, it makes sense, right? It really, really makes sense. But what they don't understand is that baby, like the disconnect, you, you are inside your mother. You know her more than anything. So mm-hmm. you're going to know when someone else holds you that it's it's not her. Like there's already this terrible, I mean, I, I feel like it's like we're a piece of cloth and someone rips us in half at that point and they say you're going to be fine. But the fact is like that rip happened and you can never sew up a piece of cloth. So, so I, I think part of it is just understanding if you separate a baby from its mom, there's, there's going to be trauma. So it's just, it's just an inevitable thing. Yeah. In, yeah. Hey. Go ahead, Heidi. No, I, I like to interject here too, because I'm kind of new to all this information, but working with my co-author, uh, we've talked a lot about this. And I think that what I wish my, my mom would have done, my, my mom that raised me, my adopted mom, is I just wish she would have accepted and acknowledged the fact that this wound existed. And I think like you were speaking to earlier, being seen and heard, that's half the battle. It doesn't fix everything. But I think for me, it multiplied because uh, it, it just wasn't processed. It was just like I began when she picked me up from the hospital and that whole other part of me was erased. But it's not because that that separation really happened and it really did traumatize the baby. And I don't know, but I actually you know, think that if I were adopting a baby, I would just want to get as much information as I could and be patient and understand that the baby is going through something and be able to just give extra care to those issues. I don't know how you feel about that, Anne. I mean, I, I, I think that adoptive parents might be able to do that just by being fully aware of the reality. Yeah, you know, my friend Pam went to Cambodia and she um, went to a school where there were a bunch of the orphans whose parents had been um, murdered. And those kids were thriving. And what Pam saw was that those kids have been taken in by other members of the community, but their stories remained the same. So they were the children of their parents. Like they, they kept their names, right? So I feel like the disconnect is this, is this pretend is the pretending. Mm. Wow, very powerful. Thank you for that question, Sean. That's an important question. Yeah, that took a lot. Yeah, that was that was a brain question. That was awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Hi, Anne. My husband just stepped out. So if you hear any noise or anything, we have school and work and all that stuff happening in the background. But 
I just wanted to say thank you so much for sharing your story. And I look forward to um, meeting on another day and doing our Mm -hmm. stuff. But I wanted to say that it hit me so hard when you talked about the, the nerve system and (laughs) I can tell you that right now I'm having a hard time talking, but Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. Um, the fight or flight response and (laughs) the animals playing dead for protection. Mm -hmm. That is something that I've experienced my entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just hearing you just, hearing you speak about it and, and actually really hearing you and feeling that was just an incredible experience. And I just wanted to say thank you for um, bringing attention to that and helping me to understand it in this different way. Um, and I look forward to reading your book as well. So, Well, there's a book you should read before mine and it's called Neurosculpting and it's by um, Lisa Wimberger, W-I-M-B-E-R-G-E-R. And I would get the audible version because it's actually different than the book. And she has this lovely voice and she talks through some um, meditations and she, she um, it's not adopted, but she, um, she passed out. She just kept passing out. And then she, my, yeah, <laughs> so she, she cured, she cured herself. And um, her book is, I talked to her on the phone. I just, she's brilliant. And she has an institute. The, the Neurosculpting Institute in Colorado. I, I, I think you will love that book. I, it just, it's so, when you talked about how you, when you were, you know, the skin that uh, Sean talked about part, and also you said something about your mouth or about mm-hmm. like your, I have always been told, I've, I've always joked about the fact that I have resting bitch face and I'm sorry mm-hmm. I, I hope we're not still recording um, <laughs> we can say whatever the hell we want okay. <laughs> I just wanted to I'm just kind of like maybe I'm I don't know I'm not that's the, out, that's, the, I'm va- just... that's the that's the vagus nerve yes the vagus nerve gives you resting bitch face when it's when it's in fight or flight like um yeah, she, the neurosculpting is all about the vagus nerve. You, you, it, you will it'll be like, yeah, I'm so excited for you. I feel like throwing up. I, I <laughs> seriously, that's the other thing I say. Oh my god! Okay, I have literally passed out while giving a presentation on anxiety. I yeah. have like, yeah. wow, <laughs> yes, and I have yeah. like while you were talking, I just I was texting my husband because I was like freaking out, freaking out, freaking out. Because my nervous mm-hmm. response is so strong to like when, when I get a single trigger and like Heidi said, I wasn't adopted, but I have so many of those feelings where I totally understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It's right. like, it's incredible. And, um, the, whenever, whenever I would have someone come to me and say, you should smile, you know, like you look so much prettier, you look so much better when you smile. I'm mm-hmm. like, I can't, like, I mm-hmm. have always talked about how when I smile, it doesn't, my smile goes down. My Mm -hmm. smile doesn't go up. Mm -hmm. And, um, anyways, I'm like, I don't want to get emotional about it, but I just, it's a big deal. It's a big deal when you can't control your own body. And then when the world sees your face and it thinks one thing, but that's not how you really feel. Yeah. And so that affects your, I mean, you guys are so brave. Like, I mean, Sean asked this question. I jump all over him. You know, like Heidi <laughs> has gathered you guys. Like, this is 
I feel like that what we're learning is that we're learning to tolerate a lot of feelings. And, you know, it's like we, we've stayed tight for so many years like this, just trying to stay alive. And then when we're like, we're like this, we're like, okay, I can feel more. I can feel more. I'm safe. I'm safe. And then, you know, all of us maybe go and take a nap afterwards. Right. Cause it's like, oh, okay. That was too much, but we're learning safety. And I, and, um, and, and also like small things, like I still, I feel bad that I, like I didn't, I wasn't more gracious to Sean that he asked that question, you know? And so in the old days, I would have just torn myself apart, you know, like, why, why didn't you like, but, but what I'm seeing is that we're all doing the best that we can. And if, if he had a problem, he would use his words and tell me. <laughs> no, no problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that though. It's like creating these safe spaces to be who we are. And I, and I think that's where the expansion comes. And Anne, this, this talk has just been such a gift. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for making it a better place. I know, I know Sean wants to go drink after this. I'm definitely taking a nap. I don't know what you all have planned. I might pass out when I stand up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and and I I had one last thing that's a little more uh, a little more levity based. Yeah. Um, you said that you were you know you're going to live your life like you're on vacation from here on out. Yeah. Yes. Uh, are you familiar with one of my favorite old movies? Uh, what about Bob? <laughs> Do you know what? I've never watched it. You 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 absolutely it? have to you okay. absolutely have to because he's basically just I mean he is uh, he, he's just crippled with anxiety and all these kind of things. And he's, he's just his therapist. Like he runs his therapist out of town because he's so nuts. But, um, his, his therapist, uh, tells him that, you know, he writes him a prescription to take a vacation from his problems. (laughs) And then he just has this epiphany and he walks around and he's on vacation all of a sudden, all the time. And he's, my mom got me this shirt. It's a shirt that says, don't hassle me. I'm a local. And it's what he wears. (laughs) Like, in the movie, but when you were talking about just living like you're on vacation now, you, you must, you must, it. it's a very, it. such a funny movie. And you it's know so what? good. I, I, it's so, it's so, and what I found was when I'm on vacation, I get so much done. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole, there's a whole, whole section of that movie based on that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I love Thanks, it. You guys. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And thank you. You know, I don't know if thank you have you a few you. extra. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know if you have a few extra minutes to talk to Steph about some photos or we can make of that course. another time if no, you need to this go. Is, this is perfect. As yeah. Long as and vertical. Yeah. And we'll, um, we'll let you do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, you, if she passes out, let me know. I know. So I'll just, I'll, just kill, I'll just kill my um, audio and mute so you don't hear whatever nose blowing. <laughs> Okay, it's going to go on. And I love you. I love you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all your amazing people with me, because by the grace of God, we're going to have a documentary series about adoptees. I don't give a shit if it's just us watching it. I mean, the world is such perfect timing. I think so too, Anne. I'm going to give you a Thank kiss you. in your little Zoom box. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bye, guys. Bye. Okay, bye.